0: Let's uh, turn to Psalm 123, we'll just be brief today on this, but we do want to stay on schedule with our Psalms of Ascent, it's page 441 in the Pew Bible, it's four verses. This is the fourth Psalm of Ascent, we are using these songs that were sung three times a year by the children of Israel as they did their pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem for the holy days. And we're using them, as Eugene Peterson does in his book, uh, as an analogy for our pilgrimage to the city of God as God's children. The first week, the big word was repentance, being sick of the lies of where we live and stepping into the truth of God onto pilgrimage. The second week was providence, coming under, within that journey, coming under the providential uh, care of God, all knowing. Care and direction of God, and that leads us when we come under that God to worship Him. That was last week. Um, I, I'm sorry I missed seeing Len Cowan Air Band at that opening. It was amazing. Make sure you at least watch the video if you didn't miss if you didn't see it. And once we come to worship that God who is high and exalted. The next response is natural. We say, it's that God I want to live for. I want to serve that God. And so the big word in Psalm 123 is service. Let's read the Psalm. I lift my eyes to you who sit enthroned in heaven as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave look to the hand of her mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God. Until he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant, of contempt from the proud. In order to understand the meaning of this psalm, we have to assume the perspective of the writer who sees himself symbolically through the eyes of a slave, a servant. Now, when we bring up the idea of slavery in America, it reminds us of our greatest sin, the evil of American slavery that we have yet to recover from as a society. And so when we hear these phrases in the Bible, especially when we set them against the American societal idea of liberty and freedom, it's hard for us to fully engage and embrace these ideas. We have to remember that uh, servanthood and slavery of some form has been a part of society since the beginning. During Jesus' time, you were either, in Rome's, Rome's eyes, either a citizen of Rome. If you weren't, you were a slave. Somebody kind of owned rights to you. Professors were slaves, philosophers, Socrates. Doctors were slaves. It was sort of the working class. Now, I don't mean to diminish the concept or water it down in a way. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to help us understand the common idea of this state and to enter into it as we view our relationship with God, which is hard for us. We use the word serve, and we like it, especially when Jesus says, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you need to be the servant of all, we, we embrace those ideas, but to fully enter into this idea of a servant, we have to, to be honest, separate ourselves from the American notion of liberty and freedom. Now, the Bible says a lot about freedom, and I don't mean to say we're separating ourselves from true freedom. Freedom. But I think it's important that you understand the American notion of freedom is not the biblical idea of freedom. Let me explain this. Because, again, the church got this wrong, I think, for several decades. When key leaders aligned the ideas of Christianity with the ideas of patriotism and our founding fathers... And so the ideas of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, personal freedom got so ingrained with the idea of Christianity that Christianity becomes a pursuit of that freedom. And that's another bait and switch. See, our American idea of freedom is self-determination, self-reliance, self-expression. That's what we call freedom. Here's what the Bible calls that, the original sin. I want to be clear what I'm saying. I'm saying our American highest ideal of personal freedom is actually a descendant of the original sin, which was self-reliance, independence, self-expression, and actually led us into serving false masters. Think about that. That was worth coming just to hear that. (laughs) Might be hard, but you chew on that. And let me make my case for this. You see, freedom in the Bible is always freedom from false masters. And that's really important that you understand that. Freedom from false masters so that we might serve the true master that we were created to serve. In reality, it is in our nature to serve. I want to quote that great religious scholar and defender of the faith, Bob Dylan, when I talk about this. He was a musician back in my day. Just see this. There was a time <laughs> when Bob Dylan identified himself as a born again Christian. And really, some of his best music came out of that period. Two albums, every one of you should have, I don't care what age you are. Slow Train Coming and Saved. They are amazing. They will rock your world in a folksy sort of way. Um, he wrote a song called Gotta Serve Somebody, which is as good theology about this as I can quote. I, I might be able to sing him. You may be an ambassador to England or France. That's it. That's as far as I'm going. But well, Let me quote it. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. That is good doctrine right there. It's hard doctrine, but it's true. No matter who else we come under ultimately that we serve, whether it's our own passions or habits or addictions or or coming under somebody else that we idolize or some philosophy or, or something, when we come under that, if that isn't submitted to the authority of God, ultimately we're not serving that. We're serving the devil and his purposes. He gets it right here. He goes on. Might be a rock and roll addict, prancing on the stage. Might have money and drugs at your commands. Women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high degree thief. (laughs) Maybe the same thing. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under a different name. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Either the devil or the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress or maybe somebody's heir, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Might be the devil, might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Here is what this psalmist acknowledges as part of his pilgrim. He is acknowledging his need to serve the one and true master under which we find our souls true freedom and this is how he does it he starts with an upward perspective i lift my eyes to you who sits enthroned in heaven the true perspective of the servant is to recognize who is master and who isn't That phrase, God in heaven, is used throughout the Bible, and the authors of Scripture were not writing a geography textbook. They were writing theology, and it's meant to describe our relationship with God. We look up to the God who is enthroned on the throne of the universe, high above all of it. We don't look across at Him or down to Him. Otherwise, we see our faith in Him as serving us and our purposes. We recognize who it is that we serve. He is high and above. He is worthy of all of our worship, as we learned last week. And the best way that I can worship him is to offer myself as a living sacrifice to his service. So we start with that. There's an upward focus. Secondly, there's an expectation in that service. And that is an expectation that this master will be a merciful one. Let's say this passage together, this part of it. Say it with me. Our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. It's interesting. Three times this word comes out. It speaks about uh, a desperation, a longing, and the power of this expectation You see, if it's true that we were created within our DNA to serve and will serve something, it's only in serving the Master who created us to serve Him that we will find goodness. That word mercy has an interesting definition in Scripture. I want to show it to you. It's the Greek word kanan, And it means to show favor, to act graciously, to be compassionate, to incline towards. And what the psalmist is acknowledging is, I'm only going to find this favor, this this love and compassion. He is inclined affectionately towards me. That is a master worth serving. And then the third thing that's a part of this is an urgency for that mercy. Mercy. It's an urgency to come under the good master. He says, have mercy on us, Lord, have mercy on us, for we have endured no end of contempt. We have endured no end of ridicule from the arrogant of the contempt of the proud. Again, what he's describing is life as he's known it under other masters. That's why slavery was so evil in our culture. Of course, only God owns people. That's evil in itself. But it was the cruelty of the owners. It was this amazing cruelty. And I'm not saying it was ever right, but I'm saying the great evil came out of that cruelty. But that is the nature of all masters who are not submitted to the lordship of God. And we will always be wounded and disappointed and damaged by any other master than the merciful God who created us. That's what these simple four verses are telling you. You fight for your own freedom, all you'll end up doing is finding by default some other master who will damage you. Even you Are probably the worst master of your life. We were created to serve one being. We find our greatest freedom in serving Him. And that's really the big idea I want to share with you just as we have quickly worked through this concept. A life lived in the service of a great and merciful God, motivated by love and gratitude is the truest freedom for the human spirit. It's what your heart truly longs for. Even as your society and your rebellious nature screams to be out from under it, it's in coming under his service that you find mercy and compassion and grace and true freedom. That's all I've gotta say about that. Let's pray.